Hey everyone, I'm proud to welcome you to the recorded roundtable discussion hosted by Incremental and Kaizen on the topic of control in marketing. Control and transparency have been buzzwords in our industry for a while, but we're finally at a stage where marketers are adopting real control. We are happy to bring the opinions of four industry experts who share their opinions about the conflicting powers at play, setting up the right incentives for a growth team, discussing when giving up control makes sense, and so on. We hope you'll enjoy listening to this roundtable. Hi, everybody. Um, thank you all for joining us uh, to this uh, roundtable. Uh, this is being hosted by Incremental and Kaizen. Uh, I'm um, Or, um, CEO of Incremental. Um, the topic of our discussion here is, is control the ultimate weapon for a marketer? Uh, introducing a little bit the, uh, the people on the line. Um, who wants to go first? Please. Hi everyone, I'm Christina uh, from Product Madness. Um, I've been with the company for uh, almost three years now and my uh, background is in gaming, uh, obviously. I've been in the industry for approximately 10 years, uh, started in real money gambling and then moved on to the less dark side of uh, social games. Uh, and I'm the retargeting lead at Product Madness, uh, taking care of uh, three social casino apps. Sure. Um, my name is Adam Jaffe. I'm currently the uh, CEO of Tenco Games, uh, although I've just taken on a new position as the EVP of a company called Phoenix Games, uh, in which I uh, run a studio for them based in Romania, um, which is a live op studio similar to the sort of DECA Games model. Um, I've been working in gaming for almost 13 years, also coming from the real money casino space back in the day, um, and, and sort of transitioned from there into the free-to-play casino space with Playtica. Um, mainly focused around marketing my, most of my career, although in the last three years have, have shifted over to product. Um, and today I, I run companies to help them create live op opportunities as well as scalable teams and, and structures. Uh, yeah, hey everyone. Uh, my name is Tim Kushela. I'm um, the co-founder and CEO of Kaizen. Uh, co-founded that company with those uh, amazing two guys, Puneet and Seresh, um, my CTO and CTO. And uh, I've been in the uh, mobile app space and advertising industry since 2012. Um, I've been an entrepreneur since 2008. Um, yeah, and I enjoy the market very much. Um, I think it's super dynamic, super interesting. Um, and uh, yeah, we founded Kaizen like uh, two years ago to help um, advertisers bring programmatic buying in-house, particularly developers. Yeah, and uh, I'm um, Or Sadra. I'm a CEO, co-founder at uh, Incremental, a pretty new startup uh, whose purpose is to uh, help evolve digital marketing from measurement of traffic to measurement of value. Uh, we've got a lot of hype recently because of the Apple announcement and the fact that we don't really care about IDFA being deprecated, um, and that's been super helpful. And yeah, team, by the way, um, I've known for six, seven years now. Uh, we work together at Uplift. Um, Tim was one of the co-founders there and I joined later and we were co-managing directors for quite some time. And yeah, I really had the pleasure to get to know him. He's one of the most uh, genius people, uh, like geniuses that I know that uh, could do anything else, but uh, chooses to be in this industry, which kind of sometimes motivates me uh, that people like that are also doing this. 
Um, yeah. How much money do I owe you, Mawa? <laughs> <laughs> now, just before we get started, we do need to add some kind of a disclaimer. Um, so uh, this is for Christina. The opinions and views shared in the discussion aren't in any way connected to the product madness company view. Um, yeah, just um, let's just jump in. So, you know, we came up with a couple of questions. We didn't really do a lot of, we didn't do any prep work. Uh, because we wanted to keep this as natural as possible. So the first one we came up with is uh, the top media vendors in the world offer little to no control, um, hinting Google, Facebook, and so on. Uh, with these being the largest and one could claim most successful vendors, um, does it say that control uh, is a moot point? Yeah, I'll start with this. I think. Anybody who's watching this would expect me to start first, so I just pander to that, pander to that crowd, so to speak. Um, you know, when I think about the idea of control, I, I think about, you know, yeah, today those companies essentially, you just hand over everything. You hand over your budget and then you let them decide everything for you. And I think, you know, it's it's been uh, a departure, of course, from the way things used to be because things used to be contextual pre predominantly. And so you were really trying to think about your audience, where they existed, how they functioned. Today, with this idea of sort of the device graph and this sort of pinpoint accuracy, you sort of hope that the algorithm is basically designing itself around that sort of hypothesis that I can find the right user wherever he or she exists. And so, yeah, you sort of thinking, yeah, it's okay for me to turn over the control. The problem, in my opinion, it comes from Yes, you have good targeting, but the whole creative idea, the creative optimization, those components are still very much within the realm of the marketer's decision. And the algorithms that I've worked with, specifically Google and Facebook, do an exceedingly bad job at giving budget to the things which actually work. And I think that's why the idea of control becomes sort of drugs, drag, gets dragged back into the kind of conversation because yeah, targeting, cost, budget amount, you know, management, those things should be managed by machines. But when you think about which creative to choose, that ultimately becomes a human making the decision because the machines are simply not that great at doing it. Um, so I don't think it's a moot point for the entire funnel. I think for certain processes, absolutely. Yeah, you just, it's a black box. You don't have much control on their, you know, their cost algorithms. But I think any decent marketer worth his weight in CPM would, create enough of a benchmarking tool for themselves in order to say, hey, like I don't overextend myself so I can know which one is, is moving which needle and ultimately be able to control the environments that I can. I could jump in. So yeah, my opinion, by the way, when it comes to control and especially when it's, a, when it's an automated black box solution from a vendor um, and I just did a social post, I, I tend to be you know, rather sarcastic and controversial in my social posts, um, that media vendors optimize towards yields, just not yours. They're optimizing towards their yield. And I would say that when, when again, we're having this conversation like with you two as marketers um, to understand kind of your perspective. And you, I think that the marketer's interest is to actually demand control because when you, kind of like give away the control, even to the best platforms in the world, it doesn't mean that they're doing a better job than you. Plus today, at least the way that um, you're giving the um, platforms a feedback loop is with um, attribution post facts. And today those are typically done based on last touch points. So 
in a way, you're kind of like biasing your vendors to target the users who are very likely to already convert. Um, and I think I, I spoke about it with uh, Christina last week. We had a, a little bit of a catch-up call. It's uh, like her, like, you know, being in the retargeting hat saying, well, I, you know, I could actually tilt the results really to my advantage by targeting day zero users. And look at me. And and, do uh, that. <laughs> yeah, uh, thousands of percentage ROI. So. Yeah, yeah that's, um, uh, if I may add, like, uh, I totally agree with the, especially from a retargeting perspective. I mean, uh, if you're talking about the two biggest players, Google and Facebook, obviously, I mean, you just don't really have a choice. Um, in my case, of course, I'm, I'm running social casinos, so Google actually is not allowing us to do retargeting. But for example, Facebook, if you check uh, through the industry as well, you know, they always, uh, the top company to work with also for retargeting and you and so on. And to a certain extent, of course, I, I agree with it, but I feel that uh, they take away so much of the control and not necessarily uh, provide the, the performance behind it. Uh, the way they, they targeting, uh, the way they find the users. Um, and, and for me personally, they're not necessarily trying to uh, aim for the same goals that, that I'm going for, uh, which in my case would be definitely incrementality rather than um, just going for uh, uh, direct runs. So uh, in a way, I think uh, it is a debatable question whether control, you know, it's how important it is. And it's good that maybe with, with other uh, channels such as programmatic and so on now, there's more and more options uh, for marketers to, to kind of decide whether you want to take over or not. Okay. Um, yeah, let me jump in with, uh, with my view on this. I mean, obviously with us at, at Kaizen, we are um, like just by the nature of our product, we're very much um, on the side of control, maybe to the extreme. And I think uh, it has good and bad points. You need to be able to handle control, but the product needs to also be built to make control um, optional wherever the customer wants it to be optional because you might not want to have control over every decision as a customer. So at the end, I think control is a lot about um, how do you build the product to allow for it, but not um, require it necessarily on all aspects. Um, I think what Adam mentioned earlier is like a lot of decisioning should be done by algorithms um, as well because humans can't do that, these decisions as quickly as well as algorithms, especially on a, on a user by user basis. Um, yeah, when I think about control, I think there's two things that determine whether you should execute control or not. Um, the first one being is, um, do you as a user have different or more information about what you want to achieve um, and, and the goals you're, you're going for and the context you have for your campaign than the underlying system that you're using. And I do think that marketeers always have more information than the systems they use because the systems can only be fed with um, data basically and make decisions based on the data they're fed with. And the data you feed them is not always accurate, is not always the only thing you should consider. There's a lot, like take for instance, you're running a TV spot at the same time as you're ramping up your mobile marketing budget in a certain country. Of course, the, the CPIs will change because people will, will be more likely to download because they might have seen your, your app on TV. So all these things are things that are hard to feed 
to a system and, and tell the system basically, you know what, um, the, the TV's every evening um, in the next three weeks. And I think there's a lot more of these uh, points. Um, you might have changes in your product, like the funnel might change. You might have improved the conversion rate to payers, which will naturally lower CPAs. Now, the, telling the system that you expect lower CPAs because that has changed and doing that in a systematic way is, is hard for a, for a system to eat and, and to, to comprehend. So for these kind of things, you do need people. And I think um, on the retargeting side, probably this is to the extreme because the knowledge advantage the marketer has over the system that uses the information fed back to it is tremendous because you know the user segments, you have experienced values about wisdom, this monetize, general risk, um, and so on. So I think that is very clear to me that control makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, so the one thing is about the information advantage. The other aspect that I'm looking at is um, what is the incentive alignment? And I think, yeah, with that wisdom, of course, giving up control only makes sense if you can be 100% sure that the system you are considering to has 100% with you because otherwise you might give up control or somebody might give up yeah i think if those two are fulfilled um or like if you if you don't have more information than um the system you use and you know the incentives are 100 percent aligned then giving up control is not a bad thing um but in, I think in, in most cases, these two conditions are not fully fulfilled. I want to I want to just add a, add something to what you're talking about here. So I think there's a lot. The, the the role of the marketer has changed dramatically over the last ten years from when I first started thinking about marketing and affiliates and all this kind of where you really thought of the source as the main driver of quality. And today, with with the way that the device graph system works you simply don't have the need for that level of delineation, you know, for being able to say, okay, this is the exact app that I need. This is the, this, this is the, that. And so you do have a lot less requirements on that front, but I also think that then the role of the marketer has shifted dramatically in the context of what knowledge that these people need to understand about their roles. You know, before it was thinking of cool campaigns and how do I optimize and what's these like, you know, the, 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 the general madman style view, whereas today you're basically a data scientist for all intents and purposes. You know, I think I, I realized very quickly that the guys that I wanted to hire for marketing were people who knew how to really work Excel and really work the numbers and really see down to like the minutiae detail where they could extract value, whether that's time of day, CTIT curves, building out sub pub analysis, like really trying to kind of pull apart as much as possible the information that they were receiving. And I think that when you look at the overall structure of the context of control, this idea is it's all sort of at the end of the funnel, right? You don't really have a whole lot you can do in the moment. So the systems that we need need to be able to recognize the pattern and then feed that information back as quickly as possible. You mentioned more, of course, that these, these systems are essentially self-fulfilling prophecies in a, in a kind of a way, especially with the self-reporting networks. They basically tell you that everything that they're doing is the right thing to do. you know ask any marketer whether the ROAS on Facebook is correct and they'll just laugh at you, right? Um, but you also have to know that Facebook is using that information to target users. So if it's wrong there, you're getting the wrong information out. So you do have to know at least the degree to which these systems fail. And when I think about control, it's also about mitigating failure risk. 
in the context of, of what these platforms have capacity for versus the, the marketer. I want to jump into the next question that we came up with. Um, and yeah, I, I like the fact that, by the way, we're a bit going off script, but it's uh, it's kind of the, like what we wanted as well. Um, and yeah, like what marketers miss out when they give out control. I, uh, I can start with my own analogy. And you know, I'm a hobbyist uh, photographer. I have a Nikon DSLR and a bunch of lenses. And yeah, like a hobby that I really do enjoy. And when it comes to photography, you know, you have automatic mode. Um, when you put automatic mode, it's like basically saying, I don't know how to take photographs. You do everything for me. And then what the camera often will make like decisions about is uh, exposure and um, ISO and a bunch of other uh, like parameters when it comes to photography, but it may take really bad photos and really bad decisions based on the amazing algorithms of Nikon and their uh, sensor, but it will just like come up with really, really bad products, really bad, um, decisions when it comes to the photos and when you just basically say nah, I, I don't know like you know you do whatever and in my view it's like you know you know when you look at the I don't know the whole like um, fraud era um, it's probably still there um, in the mobile advertising front a lot of it was because well I'm just gonna like give out control I'm just gonna pay for the result I'm just gonna stop caring about what happens until someone comes with a king of the obvious observation and says, hey, why did we get a billion clicks yesterday in the US? That doesn't actually make sense. And yeah, I kind of like what Adam was saying about how he hires uh, growth people today or marketers that they need to be analytical. I, I'm not sure if they need to be data scientists, like in my view, but like they need to be capable to just ask an obvious question uh, like, why is there a billion clicks um, to make a paint? Just, you know, it doesn't make sense. Um, yeah, so I don't know. Are there opinions on what do you think marketers miss out when they're giving away control? So I can jump in here. So uh, I love your analogy, by the way. Uh, I'm a, a bit of a hobby photographer as well. And... Uh, Actually, I think kind of the the optimal um, the optimal use of these cameras is you know there's the half automatic mode, but it kind of helps you a little bit uh, with the exposure or some other bits. But you can still modify how you want it to take the picture that you want. And I think that's really well pointed out uh, because I think uh, that could be ideal solution. And I of course there are already. Uh, platforms and and uh, and uh, companies that help you with this, uh, but I think when when you give up control completely, like definitely like one of the most obvious uh, things that that you're gonna miss out on is transparency, the data, and to learning from this. Because uh, again, going back to the to the camera thing, if you keep taking pictures with all the manual modes and you see that it's wrong, it's wrong, but fine, you can make mistakes, but you're going to learn from it. And from the next time, you will know that you need to use different settings. And with this fully automated uh, um, world that we live in sometimes and, and using the, the big platforms where you basically have zero control, uh, you just completely miss out on that. And, and you're also like not able to evolve um, 
from a, from a, like a personal uh, work perspective as well, but also to make your 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 targeting and your work more sophisticated. And when it comes to um, when it comes to again retargeting, of course, I mean um, as um, as Tim mentioned as well, like it's extremely important to to have uh, some uh, extent of control at least because I know my users, I know who I want to retarget and I know who will be bringing in supposedly the value that I want, uh, whether that's uh, revenue, whether that's uh, incremental uh, retention or, or anything like that. And uh, by giving up control fully, you possibly not gonna manage to achieve that. Well, I would say that you might achieve it. In fact, you probably would, generally speaking, given the, given the sophistication. But I love what you're saying before, which is that you don't know how to replicate that at all. You took this fantastic photo. We're just going to keep the analogy going. You took the fantastic photo and you could feel good about it, but you couldn't, you won't feel great because you're always going to be like, yeah, I don't, I don't know why that photo looks like it does. I don't know why those came out the way they did the shadows, the, the whatever, the, the density, the, the, the composition is just, it feels right. And I think in the end, you know, Whereas a trained photographer would tell you, yeah, it's because you did this, this, and this. I can just look at the photo and tell you why this photo is better than the other ones you've taken. And I think this idea of becoming better at your job and being able to improve yourself and to learn from mistakes, but also to replicate your successes, this is what has essentially gone out the window. And I can tell you, I can't, I'm sorry, I can't tell you how many times I've been in the room, you know, and they're like, CPIs are going crazy. Why? And everyone's like, Mm, well, seasonality. They're like, yeah, right, seasonality. Of course. Okay, cool. Next, next topic, right? I mean, it's it's just a blanket statement because what, what are you gonna say? Yeah, because the the system trigger was based on a this and or a that, and that, and only when you see proper proper problems. As an example, I had a situation once in which I was passing back an unverified purchase event to Facebook, and their Pixel had never really done anything with it. Sorry, the, the system had never really done anything with it. And then all of a sudden we started scaling dramatically and it became a huge problem. And so when, well, whereas our normal marketing would have been France, Germany, whatever core markets for our product, overnight it shifted to Brazil, Egypt, and India because those were where the fraudulent purchases were coming from. And so we ended up spending a ton of money and we didn't even think to look at it. We we're just like, wow, CPIs are really terrible. Like CPIs went, well, first of all, CPIs went great, but then ROAS like fell off a cliff. And you don't even think like, hey, all of a sudden my targeting shifted from one day to the next. And I think that's where your system, like the, the checks and balances, that, that needs to come in. And I think a lot of times companies don't really have that. And so they, you say you give it up. So what do you miss? Well, you miss out when something good happens, understanding it. And when something bad happens, it takes you a lot longer to identify it and then solve it. I think that's probably the two areas I would go for. Yeah, just, just a little thing to add, like I, I totally agree what you were saying, like it feels like, you know, the CPI example that you brought, like I feel the industry is already, so there are so many gray areas that, uh, that people are like, mm, yeah, we are not sure, or you have some guesses, but because, uh, or when you don't have control over it, it's just, it feels like we're just uh, extending this, uh, this grayness and turning into like a, a black hole, and there is so many question marks that we don't know how to answer ourselves, let alone explain it to other people in the company, maybe management, who are not familiar uh, with, uh, um, with advertising. Yeah, and I think that when you think about that, when you think about the management layer, that's a, that's a really good point um, because they don't understand it and they think it's very simple. 
and to tell them like, well, we actually don't control anything. Like we put up a, we put up a banner and then we press a button, you know, and they always want to like dig in with me. They're like, let me ask you questions. And I'm like, there's nothing to ask. Like what I've just described to you, the banner, that's it. That's all we have. They're like, what about targeting? What about, I'm like, I run lookalike worldwide campaigns. So either the product is better at signaling purchasers, have more of them. That's it. That's the only thing I can do. I can cut out the United States. I can change whatever. I can go from a min ROAS to a, you know, high value purchase event, but that's it, you know? And I think they like to think that there's a lot more to this process than, than there really is. And I'm like, there's a ton more. I just am not, I don't have a PhD in, you know, computer science to tell you more about it. Now, Tim, you oh, must have a very, yeah, Tim, you must have probably a, a very unique uh, view on this because a, um, like Kaizen does programmatic. So it's outside the Facebook closed self-service uh, self-attributing uh, platform. And you personally very much believe in control as well. Yeah, yeah, I, I do. I, I wanted to, to add something to the point um, Adam just made. Like, um, Adam, even if you had a PhD in computer science, without having the understand, I mean, without the uh, mechanism of the underlying system being fully disclosed, there is no way you can actually know why some things are happening, right? So yeah. I think there is like transparency and control do go in hand in hand, but they're two, two, two separate things. You could theoretically have a system that is designed to not give control, but still give transparency. Imagine you would run this worldwide lookalike campaign on Facebook, and Facebook would tell you exactly why you're, they're shifting more budget to Brazil or why um, they've been changing the bids or whatever. Um, if that was all documented in a way that is kind of, you, you can follow the, um, you follow what's actually happening, then you would still get the transparency and, and probably get the learnings um, without having the control. Um, but that's not the case, um, obviously. Um, now to your point, Mauer, uh, yeah, I mean, we obviously are very much on the side of, of the control. Um, we do, uh, when it comes to, uh, self-attribution versus MMP attribution, actually we show both uh, numbers to our clients. So and they can configure self-attribution windows um, as well. So they can actually decide uh, based on the data um, what they deem the most appropriate information to use, but without, without us enforcing on them a certain attribution method. Um, so basically, um, and, and I mean, we see massive um, we see in, in some cases massive differences between self-attributed numbers and um, MMP attributed numbers for a number of reasons. Um, that could be because if a vendor, uh, if, a, if an advertiser is running with a lot of different uh, vendors, then uh, there's a lot of um, vendors competing for attribution. It could be just different attribution windows set on our system versus what's in the MMP and, and so forth. Um, what, what I think is an interesting uh, perspective to what are you missing out on is um, what about testing, um, testing stuff, testing creative, for example, or testing different audiences like a retargeting, testing, um, you know, t t testing things sometimes also just for the sake of improving your product. And for example, the soft launch thing. So um, in, in those cases, you are primarily looking for the learning effect and not probably for the campaign management and scale. And um, without control, you can actually not really test anything. I mean, not in a clean way. The, the, the underlying idea of any test, be it a AB test or a multivariate test, um, is always like to, to only change a, one or very few variables 
um, but keep all all other um, varieties constant, right? Like a, a so-called Ceteris paribus uh, principle. And um, if you dump your campaigns into a black box, then you don't know how many variables are changing in the background. And I think that is, uh, yeah, that is basically one main issue. Um, even even Facebook does provide you with the ability to A/B test creators, um, and and that even uh, test for like um, significant statistical significance and tells you basically when you've reached it, etc. But the underlying way the creators are tested against each other um, is not um, controllable. Um, and I think that's a big problem uh, when it comes to, yeah, what, what are you actually missing out when you give up? Yeah. I, I want to say one thing. It's, it's, it's a little bit hard for us to have this conversation with the looming nature of iOS 14, but more specifically about this idea of, of device graph. So, I just want to throw it out there because it's in my mind because I'm we're talking about like targeting and this and that and by definition as a marketer in a company I am severely handicapped by how I target my product user base because if I think about myself so I think about taking on an internal DSC for instance right I simply can't compete because what we're describing here is the step function of optimization loops and testing and making sure things are working and you know, getting to that final outcome after a certain period of, of testing to, to, to get to the right types of users through contextual or, or whatever it might be. Well, mainly through contextual bidding, of course, that's how that typically works. And you have a ton of little levers to pull there, right? From the time of day to the, to the waiting of hours, to the waiting of all kinds of, you know, bundle IDs and all that stuff. But the way marketing is done today when I go to a Facebook or to a liftoff or to anybody else is that it's not done. It's done on a device level. And in that case, I simply cannot compete. There's almost no, I don't know. I become very discouraged with the way that the marketing is done in, in these days for this very specific reason, because I feel that I'm completely incapable of affecting change given the way in which my users are being targeted or otherwise through the sort of the device graph manipulation, which of course is meant to be eradicated in, in this idea of IDFA deprecation. I think that that has caused, so when we talk about like, what do you give up, the control aspects, all these things being able to target, I'm always left feeling like, does it really matter given how companies actually target users and use it and leveraging, okay, I come in, I have a casino app, I go to Facebook, product madness has already shared every user that ever purchased to Facebook. So they already know who my guy, who I need to go after. So how much, so it's more like, do I trust Facebook to actually give me the right users or, or, or what percentage of their user base is actually coming that's sort of cannon fodder just to keep their spend high and they need to provide money versus the other side. I don't know. That's... I, I kind of want to interject. So, you know, we, we've been mentioning Facebook quite a bit and I think we can all admit to the fact that Facebook is a, is an awesome platform for marketers. Like it's a crazy, great reach audience targeting capabilities. That's a no doubt. And Google, well, it's like a crazy good as well. Um, it's like, no one can really argue the fact that like they have amazing media, amazing reach and amazing targeting capabilities. I think that the, uh, the point that at least I see when it comes to the control part is, um, the control over your spend, the control over distribution of budget, the control over how much you're paying and how much you're actually getting. And, uh, you know, I would say that like when, when Tim and I were in Epic and Tim actually explained to me how mobile attribution worked because uh, I, I spent most of my career in the desktop side and then I switched to mobile. 
And when team explained it to me, like Facebook was self-reporting. And so I was blown away. I was like, really? And for a very long time, I was very vocal and verbal on the opinion that this doesn't make sense. Like a marketer needs to be able to pick and choose um, who their vendor is basing their attribution on in order to kind of have like an even optimization capabilities. I noticed that it's a, it's a moot point. It's like, I will not be able to change this as an outsider. And plus, when you work for a media company, everybody sees it as a bias. And that's part of the reason why I started the incremental. Um, I'm not trying to change how the vendors work. Um, I take it as a fact that, I don't know, one of the attribution solutions or, um, or SPA network even just said that these thousand conversions uh, were attributed to X. And I just start from there. Um, we're not trying to challenge the wheel uh, and we're not trying to challenge the status quo. And it doesn't mean that uh, Facebook is evil or Google is evil. It's just uh, the question is, does the marketer actually get the value and the benefit they think they are getting? Um, or is it just all skewed because the data is so flawed? I guess I wasn't trying to get a point, maybe that, that there's this sense of evilness. What I, what I think is, is more the context here is that one person is using a sniper rifle and the other one is using buckshot. And so when you're trying to optimize buckshot, it takes a lot longer. And eventually you might get to that sniper rifle, but you'll never be as accurate. And the context to get to that point is significantly longer and, and more complicated. You literally need to create a new gun, essentially, and you know, just to, to fire that type of information. And I think that is the, that's the challenge that I feel like a lot of companies are trying to face. And they're saying like, how, we want the control. We really do want this in-house. And I can't tell you how many times I've personally gone through that. At Playtica, at Jam City, at, in, in most companies, at Social Point, I've always taken that, hey, I want to, to leverage my, this you know, huge amount of information I have personally about marketing and put that into campaign management. And then I sit down and I run it and I'm like, $30 CPIs? What, what is that? And they're like, yeah, that's normal. That's the real cost. If you want to go broad and try and find it, you know, through this certain system. So I think you give up control, but you, you essentially try and gain time. But I don't think it's real time, like we talked about before, because you, you eventually could get to that number in a, in a way. But I think you, most companies don't have the, the patience for it. Just one, just a quick thought I wanted to add here. Like, I think uh, what you were saying, Adam, uh, and this was uh, mentioned before as well, like, uh, you can, of course, uh, achieve those uh, goals that you, you want to. And the question is, like, do you trust the partner, especially talking about the two big ones, uh, whether uh, they, they really did it the way you wanted it, or is it really uh, true what, what you're seeing as a result? And maybe it's not, at least, uh, I think for a lot of people, it's not only you would be perhaps willing to um, be more comfortable or you would be more comfortable giving up control if you would at least have um, a higher level of transparency so you would understand better what's happening in the background um, and I think uh, personally I'm struggling with that that uh, especially talking about Facebook they obviously not sharing any type of data and you can never verify internally uh, whether what you think that happened is really what's going on. And when you find issues, it's almost impossible to get to the bottom of it because they would never share any data with you to, to verify um, any question marks. Yeah. 
kind of leads us, by the way, to the next question. And in a way, it was kind of like mentioned earlier, um, incentive alignment. Uh, incentive alignment, huge driving forces for successful execution in the marketing world. When incentives are not set well for a marketer, their motivation can be giving up control to a third party. Uh, what are well incentives to align a marketer towards growth rather than spend? And I'm just going to start with a story here. Um, at Aplift, uh, I used to work with this uh, gaming company. They were one of our top advertisers for a pretty long time. Um, and one day they uh, pinged us and said, hey, um, like roughly a million conversions are not tracked on our game servers. Like we got postbacks from their attribution solution. Everything looked aligned, but um, they were basically saying, we don't see these conversions. And yeah, it was obviously like an SDK spoofing case where um, some fraudulent publishers created fake events and fake installs and so on. Now, I remember kind of like um, discussing with them through this case and uh, trying to reach some kind of an agreement. And in the meanwhile, their CMO, chief marketing officer, is telling me, yeah, we really need to resolve this case urgently because I really want to go back live. And I was like, but why? You're practically telling me that none of the installs we generated for you were real. You, like we're talking now about some kind of a settlement agreement because we can't really retrieve money from publishers, but, but why would you want to go back live when you're telling me that the majority of conversions were not real? Uh, and said, no, it's really important for me to reach my targets. Yeah. So, yeah, maybe um, who wants to take this person? I know this one is a sensitive question. Mm -hmm. I, will, uh, I will go ahead and uh, share with my views. Um, and I started with uh, Steph earlier, not um, incentive alignment for marketers only, but in general incentive alignment, because I think that's a super important topic and it's probably under managed in, in the sense that like how important is incentive alignment and how much is effort is put into actually making sure um, incentive alignment is there. And I think it um, there's two aspects like incentive alignment between business partners um, working together. So that could be a marketer and the vendors they work with, um, any vendor they work with, um, between suppliers um, and, and purchasers and so on. I think that is super important. Um, but within a company, I think the best incentive alignment you can have, but is also the most, um, the least short-term measurable is shares. And uh, well, having uh, founded companies and uh, also, yeah, uh, run companies uh, all my life, uh, all my professional life, um, I've always been a, a strong proponent of this, um, always giving away shares to my teams to my executive teams, etc., um, and I think that's the only way you can actually create true alignment in the long run. Um, but it's also the yeah, it's the least short-term measurable. So many people will not uh, take this incentive as something they they see as a strong incentive because the out far away. Uh, might be uh, subject to high volatility, like whether you get very good returns on the shares or no return from the shares. But ultimately, that's the only way to create true incentive alignment. Uh, because what you want is to maximize the value of the company, um, the value of the business. And in the case you mentioned, or like I think any KPI um, 
set in this case would have been flawed, even if it would be the perfect KPI. It's impossible to find that. Um, but if that person would have had um, strong um, financial incentive in the success of the company, um, he or she would have uh, taken um, the right choices. Add my two cents to that. So, having worked for many different companies with many different bonus structures and schemes and whatnot, you know, I think the way that I always, always framed it was, you know, regardless of whether it was a media buyer in my team or a publisher manager managing some other relationship, I always told my guys, this, this is your money, your money. They're spending your money. You have to make sure that that's a very clearly defined understanding. This isn't company money. This isn't something that's just like ephemeral that exists and every month it'll be the same. No, if you spend this incorrectly, we will have less to spend or we will have to make changes or we will. And so I really try to put the onus on the individual because the last thing I want to have is, is a situation in which I create stress or pressure on an individual that they can't functionally alleviate. I'm happy that people feel stressful. I'm happy that people feel stressful. Let me use the right word, pressure, right? Pressure to perform, pressure to do better. But if I tell a person, hey, you're responsible for revenue and then you know, revenue is de declining, they may not have the function in order to, to uplift that. So with marketing, I, I always tried to compartmentalize. So I'd say you're responsible for month one revenue as it relates to marketing, as it relates to month zero. That's your only responsibility. And I make sure that we have a clear benchmark for that. But on the same side, I'm always very cognizant and very specific around this idea that if you make huge mistakes, it's okay. We're not, I'm not here to fire people for spending money in the wrong places as long as it's clear. Hey, this is a test, this is a thing. But if you let a campaign run <clears throat> for three weeks that you knew was wrong from week one, next month, you're probably gonna have a lot less money to spend. Plus I'm gonna put a lot more control on you. Uh, I, had a, I had a mentor at one point talking about that. Actually, maybe mentor is the wrong word, but Moore and I used to talk about this and his philosophy, which is something that I took a long time ago, which was saying like, yeah, you have X to spend this month. If you do well with this, then you get more. If you do poorly, you will get the same or less, most likely less. And if you do really poorly, then you won't work here anymore. It's a very clear line. And I think as a marketer, you have the clearest understanding of where you sit in the value chain of a business. I spend, and you have the highest amount of impact in terms of your cost. You cost the company the most. I manage 40, 50, 60, even 80% of the company's margin is coming through my spending or excuse me, is, is being spent by me. And so that onus, that responsibility, I make sure it's not like that for everyone. Customer support, product, they have a different function and I put a different set of priorities across their table. But with the marketer, that assembly alignment has to do with the fact that it's yours. And I can tell you as a guy who's owned his own business, plus also worked for other companies, there's a fine line between what people think. You know, guys who are super VC funded <clears throat> have a little bit less to care about. Whereas it's, it's all bootstrapped, you know, we're, we're living and breathing every cent. You know, those guys tend to do a lot better when it comes to profitability margin and, and, and understanding. So that's, that incentive alignment has to do with how a person views the money that they spend. And I think you're right, Tim, but there is ways to bring that home on a very, very sort of week, even weekly level, you know, and that's, you know, I'm just benchmark against that. Yeah. Yeah, I think I, I definitely agree with uh, probably everything you guys said so far, but I think it's a very, very complex question because it 
if, since we mentioned, you know, bonus incentives and everything and, and targets uh, that everyone gets, it can be uh, such, it's such a big variety depending on the size of the company and so on. So um, the shares, I think, yeah, that's a, definitely a brilliant uh, idea. And it's very important, I believe, that uh, each team really feels that the, the incentives uh, they have and what, uh, what they're given as targets, they can really influence that. But I think a lot of companies, um, uh, also from previous experience, they struggle how to come up with that. And then uh, it's not just how the high management comes up with that, but then you often also co-dependent on other teams. Uh, and then if those other teams have some other goals that are very different from yours, they're not aligned, then you can kind of like get into this circle of everyone is just trying to work towards their own bonus. Uh, and not uh, towards like a whole company goal. So I think it's a very difficult question um, to answer. And uh, um, I don't know if anyone managed to crack it completely, but uh, talking about just gross marketing, um, I know it from experience that uh, often it tends, tends to be that the management wants everything. They want you to, you know, uh, spend a lot, increase the spend and, and uh, hit the, the ROAS goals, but also have low CPI and, and so on. Also, when you speak to partners and uh, manage service, it's like, what do you want? And we're like, well, we want both. Uh, but it's, it's so, so hard to hit. Um, so from my perspective, personally, since uh, um, right now I'm fully focusing on retargeting, um, incrementality is probably the best um, incentive I can have because uh, as you mentioned in the beginning of the talk, um, you know, I can get great ROAS like above hundred percent if I want, if I, if I have a target like that and we used to, um, I, just, I just changed the targeting. I know my users so I can easily influence that. But overall, that's not gonna be beneficial for the company. And uh, I think uh, a lot of places this is not, um, it's not entirely clear yet, or it's perhaps unspoken about. Yeah. And you know, um, kind of like adding that before we move to the next question, while we added this disclaimer that um, the views are yours and not uh, Product Madness, I think Product Madness is pretty lucky to have you. Um, and if I, you know, I, I take my own um, views and it's very much aligned with um, what you guys said. Um, Something I learned very much from Tim when I joined AppLift um, to almost every question I asked, why is the company doing well here? Why is the company? To almost every question, it was, we hire well, we hire well, we hire well. And indeed, I think when I, when I joined uh, um, Tim here in uh, Berlin, the company was extremely entrepreneurial to, uh, to the level of every single employee in the company, even though it was like 60 or 70 people by then already. Um, and I think what I learned there is indeed you hire, you hire very well uh, entrepreneurial people. Now, when it comes to incentives and so on, I personally do not believe in short-term goals and bonuses um, for complex positions. So if your position is take this pile of paper and move it from here, and that's your job, and that's what you need to do, um, okay, I can basically give you a bonus, and you will actually do much faster, and you will find efficient ways to do that. But in a marketer's job, your, your role is extremely complex. And as uh, Christina just mentioned, you know, sometimes uh, management will say, well, we want you to send more, but we want you to decrease CPIs and we want you to do this. And they're actually not necessarily aligned with themselves. Plus, they don't have the mastery in what you do. 
So therefore, I do think that incentives can be on very much long-term goals. And uh, there was a Harvard study, by the way, about the fact that incentives work for complicated situation when it's not frequent and it's a lot of money. So I kind of, like what Tim said about shares resonates and maybe indeed shares are too far off for an average employee um, if they're not an executive in that company. Um, but I think that some kind of a monetary bonus that is big uh, based on some kind of a company success goal, um, that aligns incentives pretty well. But indeed, it's very tough to, to align. And yeah, moving to the next uh, question, when does it make sense to give up control? I think here, it's, for me, it's just a very, it's a very simple, simple answer. It's a, it's a cost benefit. If I have a small team, well, because I don't have, and I, or if I'm spending not that much money, and I just say, hey, like this is this is what I have, this is what I do. You know, a company like a Jam City or a Playtico or whomever, a very large organization spending a lot where those percentage points that they could gain from the controlled aspect means millions, then it makes sense. And I think that's where the, it's just a simple cost benefit analysis. I think when you, when you get down to it, I've got a, one guy spending 30 grand a month. I want him to focus as much as his effort on the highest you know, yield opportunity, which most likely would be creative optimization to a degree. You probably have a lot better. So you're saying like, we, we choose the right targeting, is it the best, most optimized? I hope so, but we don't really have a clear sense about it. You know, we're using one platform, potentially two. I mean, essentially it's Facebook until you cap it out and that might be a certain level, you know, or cost for, for certain kind of creative, you know, whether you're gonna go to app. Unity ads or whatever, you, you need a lot of budget for those types of platforms, not just in terms of spend, but you also for creative management and creative optimization. So I tend to use that as my like limiting factor. How much am I spending and how big is my team? Um, and then what's the, you know, what's the ultimate object to, to gain? Um, yeah, I think uh, I don't have too much to add to this because I think I very much agree with what Adam said. Uh, it, it's all about the size of your team. Do you have the, the time, the resources to, to take control over everything? Um, you know, when you do in-house programming, it's very, very interesting, but it's a lot of time. So. Um, unless you have a lot of people uh, with the experience and the knowledge as well, because let's not forget that, of course, when you have a managed service, that kind of comes with it as well. Their, their experience, experience from, from competitors as well and so on. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely down to manpower, uh, cost and time. From my opinion, I think it's a, it's a strategy question. So when your strategy is to grow with almost no limits uh, fast and you don't have the resources capacity so it's also very much aligned with what the you two have already said then yeah it really does make sense to give someone else the control a good example would be if you're entering a new market that you don't have experience in and you need support with creatives and marketing and media buying and everything then yeah sometimes it's just much easier to give the budget to an agency and have them do the work for you rather than trying to tap into that. But I think that you miss out a lot, if you go back to the previous questions, if you don't end up with any transparency on what they did, because at some point when you want to take control, so if we go back to the camera analogy, um, you know, if you take a, a photo with a DSLR, you can actually go in and say, uh, see what was the ease of exposure um, 
time, shutter time and so on, um, on the metadata of that picture, if you give it control and all you get basically is an invoice, I just personally think you miss out on too much. If you give it control, but you get a very detailed invoice with everything, um, then at least you can actually take this learning and apply it for your own future. Yeah, I would literally never advocate an agency for marketing. It's just not, a, it's in, you know, in any, in any level from, because generating the fee isn't, isn't worth it. 12% on a, on a hundred K you're thinking, you don't think you could spend 12 grand to hire a good person on a monthly basis. I'm probably, you could find a couple of guys for that. I think most of the time the teams just don't think they just think it's easier just to get it out, out of the gate. Uh, I would never, ever advocate for that. I think in this context, when I was saying specifically was like in the context of whether I take a DSP internally or if I'm going to Facebook or if I'm adding many platforms, but always having a dedicated resource because mastery is the most critical component as Tim and, and you really have kind of harped on in this, in this call and sort of lean towards having good people is what makes your business work. So you need somebody to manage that process, of course. Yeah, I have not much more to add um, to this point. So we can jump to the next one. Yeah, and I think this, the next one is something that definitely, Tim, you could be the one to start answering. Um, in an increasingly complex marketing ecosystem, automation is key. Can automation and control coexist in harmony? Um, yeah, I think that goes back to... Um, so first, my answer is definitely yes, they can. And uh, um, it goes back to, to a point I made a bit earlier today um, on, on the topic of control and transparency not being the same, but working hand in hand. And um, I do... Um, I do believe that automation is a, a tool basically to do what you would do as controlling the system, but just in a more efficient manner. Um, but it doesn't mean that you have to give up control. Um, so I think the underlying um, important point is that do you understand what automation is doing for you? And I think in the, in the case of the an algorithm and the device graphs that um, Adam mentioned earlier, the, the level of what happens on the automation side is um, so down to like very complex individual decisions um, by made by an algorithm that it's almost impossible to um, have full transparency into what the automation system does. But if it is about you know um, budget allocation. Um, uh, knowing like on which um, publishers your ads ran, etc., um, knowing the bids that were submitted for certain inventories and so on, um, then I think, um, yeah, automation can very much, uh, I mean, then I think you have that level of transparency that you need to judge what the automation layer is doing. And if you have that level of transparency and you have like, uh, you know, functionalities built into the system to execute control, then you can still take different turns anytime you want. Um, so uh, I, I think I have an, another analogy for this is um, like when you drive a car, you typically either drive an automatic car or a stick. Um, and I know in, in, in Germany, like it's uh, almost prohibited to drive an automatic car until recently. I think things are changing as well because everyone's like, no, no, no I need to fully control my car. There's like engine is turning and when I switch gears and everything. And in the States, 
everyone needs to to drive an automatic car. Now both have their market, and I think both have their pros and cons, but it also depends very much on the user um, and the situation that you uh, you have it. So in in case of the car, um, now you have like automatic cars, but you can still switch the gears yourself, right? I think that's that's a good middle ground. So you do have that automation. You don't need to switch the gears all all the time, but you can do it when you want to. And and there are situations where it's needed. For example, I don't know. I was like renting a car recently, and I was driving up a, a mountain on a, like dust road, and um, just just having the car doing it like in, with the automated shift um, would have have gotten the car stuck. So I did need that level of control to actually get the, the car up the dust road mountain. And that's a real, it's, it's a real case that just actually happened last week. So um, I think that's, yeah, probably my view on it. Um, but I do definitely think automation and control can coexist. Um, yeah, I like the analogy, by the way, of the self-driving car. Um, it's like, yes, self-driving cars, by the way. And so, so my view, by the way, about this is that there's a lot of talk so about this was not sorry this was not about a self-driving yes, car yet. No, that, no, no. that's the next level of automation i think yeah but like my, my, about a stick versus uh automated gears no but like my point was that the, so take take self-driving cars as an example um there's a reason why it's not yet allowed to just lean back and take a nap and watch your phone it's you actually need the human in there um I personally think that there is a lot of buzz in, like around marketing automation and full automation of marketing. And I simply don't think the world is there yet. Um, and I give you a small example from incremental. So we chose to actually not do marketing automation. We chose that like our platform gives the marketer insights. And then uh, if the marketer wants to connect it to some kind of an automation platform for execution, they can do so because one of the least incremental marketing items is brand keywords. And many do it as a strategy. They want to have their brand first. Um, for sure, it's just non-incremental by definition. It's really cannibalizing on your own like um, brand keywords on SEO. But uh, if it would be for our system doing the automation, it would just turn it off telling you, well, this is a waste, this is a waste, this is a waste. But it's a strategy. And here... It's like similar to the self-driving car and, and the driver's position. The driver's position is to make decisions. A, it's to where the car should go and what should the car do if an unexpected event happens. And in an emergency situation, same goes for, by the way, planes have been flying themselves for the last uh, few decades now uh, on autopilot. And the main purpose of the pilot is for what if. And I think that's also kind of like the... Um, the, the definition of the marketer in the next couple of years, the marketer needs to come up with a strategy, like where do we want to go? How do we get there? And yeah, a lot of the execution of it can be automated. That's my own view. I think uh, I definitely would like to think so that it can coexist. And uh, my, my ideal word would be kind of like a, a combination of the two because I admire the power behind AI and you know the automations that's uh, out there and that's coming uh, like just as you mentioned like the self-driving car is like if you if you mentioned that I think you know like uh, 20 30 years ago it was just in the cartoons and and it, it's such a crazy thing that now it actually exists um, but I think uh, the combination of the two and uh, and work with recommendations is my ideal setup where you have a certain amount uh, of automation to a certain extent 
but you still have control, but uh, the machine would also help you with recommendations because of course you cannot be everywhere. You cannot monitor all the markets, all the creatives, all the CPIs, all the market trends at the same time, unless you have a, a team of like, I don't know, a hundred people uh, and everyone is just focusing on one thing. Uh, so yeah, I think recommendations that that can turn into uh, some sort of automation that that is something that's um, very useful and, and my idea set up. So I have one last thing. I mean, I basically agree with all the things that all the points that you guys are making. I would say that it depends entirely on where you market. So I've worked with budget management tools and trying to fully automate the again, I'm not talking about the creative component because I think that that can't happen. I think that that's the moment where the where the marketer becomes the, that's the part for, for you to become creative and think about. And I don't even think the marketer has much to do in that context. It's really the creative team building out that, that information. But in order for those two things to coexist, the control and the automation, you need to really understand the platform in which you're putting your, your media on. As an example, if you try to overlay a budget management tool on top of Facebook and the campaigns that you run in Facebook are all global lookalikes, you'll probably run into some very interesting issues in the context of, hey, I've got these five campaigns, they're all targeting the same markets, and now we're trying to shift budget, but we can only do it at the campaign level, and we're not doing market by market because Facebook doesn't want us running market by market campaigns. This can cause a lot of problems in, in terms of the, the budgeting system and the media company are not connected in terms of the algorithms that they're using. So, you know, for me, when I think about the idea of automation, it's what do I automate and where am I getting the inputs from and who's really controlling this meaning okay i can like i have a system controlling the budget but then facebook controls everything else all the media where it's pointing actually i think in the context of, of the ios 14s well i guess we don't call it that anymore idfa deprecation potentially in the future the dsp is going to become this or sort of the internal dsp will become a very very powerful tool when it comes to automation because when you're thinking about the contextualization and the millions and the millions of sites that, can, that you can sort of put your, your media on, having budgeting limiters and all these different you know, systems which run, that will be incredibly powerful. And I think that's really where those two things can really get, they can marry efficiently. But that's only because you control the full stack. You control the, the flow from top to bottom. Um, and I think once you give up the control to somebody else to try and automate somebody else's process with your own understanding can be, well, it's not that it can be bad. It's just that you, again, won't have much available information to make sure that you're doing things right, other than ROAS, which doesn't mean anything. I'm muted something, but. Muted. Muted. Brings us to the last question that we have, uh, by the way, for this uh, round table. So it's really kind of about, um, how a marketer differentiates. So in digital marketing, software is like in the core of everything. Okay, we're doing digital, so everybody has some kind of a software. Um, now, how do we basically define what is a control? Is it the pricing model a vendor gives you? Is it um, what actually defines the fact that you as a marketer have control? Um. I go? Oh. Um, so I don't think the pricing model um, does. Uh, I mean, does have a, have a say in whether you should you have control or not. I think the pricing model can be an incentive 
for a vendor to not give control because depending on the pricing model you would not want potentially want your customers to have control but if the pricing model itself isn't isn't something that governs whether there is control or not i think it's all down to the software and every software has um, the controls or must have some controls the question is are they accessible or not and how are they accessible um, and then like for example obviously um, like even world gardens they control everything they do right uh, to the last detail each and every impression they serve but what is the system built i mean how's the system built around this to to manage that control and in their case it's very clear that um, it's built to have the user do as little as possible and that the system do as much as possible so the design of the system is to not give control to an outside um, entity um, and maybe the underlying philosophy well can be can be speculation but i would say is probably not trusting users to make smart choices which can be a legit argument um, i think um, uh, but it, it can also be like um, the optimization objective that you have at the end is optimized for your own yield uh, as a vendor, right? Um, or as a work garden platform. So why would you then give control to an external party if, if that would mean you would not optimize as well for your own yield anymore? So um, yeah, I, I think software built to give control just means like, what is it that you have in the UI? Like what are the, the different options you can choose? Can you choose for each option whether you want the system to control it or you want to control it? So ideally, there is, like a, you know, some sort of um, optional choice for a user to say, you know what, impression capping, I want the algorithm to figure it out. I don't want to, I don't know if like two impressions per user per day or three or two per week is the right capping. And maybe it's different for each user so that the algorithm can figure it out. But there, there might be other um, other things that I want to control because I have historical knowledge about what worked and what didn't work and i don't want the system to have to learn this because i learned that in the past and i know it um yeah so i think it's about what how you build the ui how you build the apis um, that allow control um, how the architecture of the system is built how the components work together and what can you control independently of each other and what can you only control uh, in in combination for example yeah jumping in here so um, actually, it was something that Tim and I wrote in Applet together was a demand side manifesto, uh, if you remember that, Tim. And um, like, uh, so I think we both very much believe that there is a separation between supply and demand. And if you are on the supply side, you are optimizing towards the yield, the, the eCPM, you're optimizing towards media. And if you're on the advertiser side, then you're obviously optimizing for the advertiser. Now, I truly believe in the separation and I think that it kind of like in order to like understand if you are getting full control is uh, to understand who is the what is the interest of the platform you're using if it's a platform by the media owner who optimizes to your benefit it's uh, exactly as my post uh, on uh, LinkedIn uh, showed this uh, week it's um, vendors' algorithms optimized towards yield, just not yours, Adam and Christina. Uh, they optimize towards their yield because that is their interest. And I think it's fine to accept that. Um, and it goes well with control as well. But I think that advertisers definitely need to pick the tools and platforms uh, that they're using in order to kind of 
demand this control back or as much control as they can get back in order to be able to beat the system because it, it is a game of supply versus demand. You want to um, optimize and you want to unlock the value of your spend as much as possible. Um, yeah, that's kind of my viewpoint. I don't have too much to add to this. I, the one thing I wanted to say for me is down to the, to the system and the technical capabilities for sure as well. And uh, yeah, we are on that track. Uh, we're trying to kind of optimize this and we're working with Gazen actually. And uh, you know, we're trying to bring uh, some of this power in-house. We are still in the, in the learning journey, but it's already showing uh, where the benefits of taking control um, are and they yeah, I don't have I don't have much to add. I think Tim sums up it pretty pretty accurately. So that kind of brings us to the end of our uh, roundtable, right in time, by the way. Um, yeah, so <laughs> uh, thanking all of you for your participation. Uh, it was really awesome. If anyone wants to reach out to any of you, how could they do so? LinkedIn, Adam Jaffe, pretty popular there. Yeah, probably LinkedIn is the best way. Same here. Yeah. Same here. Cool. So have a wonderful day. Um, thank you all again. And wishing you a great rest of the week. Thanks, Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Cheers. Adam Christina Mauer. Bye-bye.